Have you ever uh, ran into somebody that you haven't seen for a while, and you kind of have a conversation that looks kind of similar to this, like, uh, so what have you been up to? Right? I don't know if you've been like me, I've been in my fair share of these conversations, and ironically, the next phrase is something like this, oh, nothing much. Have you ever had that? Right? And then the, 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 the follow-up question is, well, what's new with you? Ah, oh, nothing really. Have you ever had that conversation? Is this just me? You've, you've all had this conversation, right? But the irony of this conversation is that it's been a long time since you've seen each other. It could be true that absolutely everything new in your, is new in your life since you saw them last, right? You might have moved. You might have changed jobs. You might have got married. You have kids. There's always something new. And yet somehow we have come to this point in the conversation where we're like, it's too much to get into it. So I'm just going to go, nothing much. Right? And, and so uh, I, I think it's amazing uh, how we have this conversation. Now, there's some people that you got to be prepared, right? Because if you ask the question, they're going to give you an honest answer. And so sometimes you have to clear your calendar because they're going to give you the life story and the rundown, right? And, and you, you know, I, I love it when people say, well, how much time do you have, right? And, uh, and that's a more honest conversation. I was talking to someone this week uh, uh, from our former church in Ontario, and they said, I just love watching your family on Instagram and kind of seeing what you're into, right? It's amazing, right, how social media has given us this ability to follow up and to, to catch up and to stay connected in a way with what's going on in people's lives. It's, it's a little bit creepy, actually. Uh, my kids actually call it creeping. When you start looking at people's profiles and you start scrolling and you're kind of, what are they up to? You're trying to find out and, and you're creeping their profile. And so we are um, it's kind of like keeping in the know without having to maintain the relationship. That's convenient for some of us, isn't it? Right? We don't have to go for the long coffee to hear the whole story. We just kind of catch up the little snippets. It's really weird when you meet someone and they kind of, you kind of say, well, what have you been up to? And they say, well, we've been on vacation. And you say, I know. Right? <laughs> Well, I started a new job, I know. Well, last night I made apple crisp and I ate it. And you're like, I know, right? Because you've been catching up with them and all that they're doing. It's possible to be a spectator of other people's lives without actually participating in it. Isn't that amazing that we can do that these days? We used to call that peeping toms and now we just call it social media, right? <laughs> well, uh, you know, we become great spectators, right? We think about all the entertainment uh, that we have watching other people live their lives and pursuing their dreams. Remember we used to watch sitcoms. Anyone who grew up watching sitcoms and TV shows or maybe dramatic TV? And uh, the tide has shifted from scripted TV to unscripted, what we call reality TV shows, right? We, we watch shows like American Idol or The Voice or, uh, you know, Canada's Got Talent. Uh, some of us watch The Bachelor, <clears throat> I don't know, no conviction about that. The Kardashians, oh, I don't know about that. I, I did find a new show recently, though, that I, I kind of enjoy. It's called Alone. How many would like to be on a TV show called Alone? This is amazing. Some of you I know, you'd love to be on the show. They basically take contestants and they drop them into the wilderness in Alaska or in Labrador, and their goal is to live alone as long as they can. 
And so they live as long as they can. There's people spread out all over. They don't know who's where. And they just live as long as they can. And they go like three or four months living off the land alone until they tap out and say, I can't take it anymore. And the person that survives the longest wins. Isn't that amazing? Some of you would be like, that is the reality show for me. Sign me up. Right? How many parents over the past summer have talked to your kids who have been spending all their days on YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and you said something like, stop watching other people live their lives and go live your own life. Right? But it's not just kids. If we're being honest, some of us, we find ourselves just in this place of watching people live their own lives. Even these days, it's not enough to simply watch sports. All right, fantasy sports have become a big thing. I love fantasy football. Fantasy sports is where you, they take these players and you draft them to your team and uh, you put them on your roster. And so now you're watching them every week to see how they are uh, performing. I didn't know what was happening over there. <laughs> I was, I, in my mind, I'm like, don't look, don't look. But I just couldn't look. She's so beautiful. Anyways, getting back to fantasy sports. So you draft these players in a team and then you watch them and, and you're faced with a conundrum. This is the conundrum of fantasy sports. Do I cheer for my real team in real life or do I cheer for my fantasy players? Right, like when your fantasy play team is playing against your real team, it's like, I'm not sure who to cheer for, like the real players or my fantasy players. And, and you're sort of torn in this place. You, see, you're involved mentally, you're involved emotionally, you're all connected to what's happening in these realms. Some of you, you just love that reality TV. You have people you're cheering for, people that you, you love, you're connected mentally, emotionally. But physically, we remain separated from what's going on. We're detached from personal involvement or personal investment, right? We're detached from personal involvement or personal investment in the outcome. How many know it's better to be a participant than a spectator in life? Now, everything in me as a pastor, I wanna say a participator and not a spectator, except for I did that once when I was a rookie pastor, and one of the English teachers in the church said, Pastor Jeremy, you know that participator is not a real word. The word is participant. You can't say spectator and participator. It's spectator and participant. I said, fine. But I looked it up on the internet yesterday, and the internet has changed their meaning. The people use participator enough that they're starting to include it uh, in an informal way. And so participator or participant, whichever you want to be, it's better to be participating than to be spectating in life, right? Well, we've been in this series, if you're just joining us, that we're called Life Shared. Life shared, and if we had a tagline to this series, it would be called Everyone, Everywhere. Would you see that with me? Say, Everyone, Everywhere. This side of the room, say, Everyone. everyone. This side over here, say, Everywhere. Everyone, 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 Everyone. Thank you. That's amazing what you'll do if I ask you. It's incredible. <laughs> but we want everyone everywhere in our city to experience the love of Jesus Christ. As a church, we want everyone everywhere in our region to experience the saving grace of our Jesus. And so what we've been talking about throughout this series is that wanting something and dreaming about something is different than seeing it take place. We've talked about this idea that a vision without a plan is a fantasy, and a plan without action is just a speech. 
And we don't want to be a church that lives in fantasy land. And we don't want to be a church that just gives speeches. We want to put action to a plan. Everyone everywhere starts with someone somewhere. We've been talking about that. Everyone everywhere starts with someone somewhere. And so we felt like God had put it on the heart of our leadership to start this fall ministry season equipping and inspiring our people on how to be involved, not to be spectators, but how to talk and share with the people we love about the Jesus that we love. Everyone everywhere needs this Savior. So in week one, we talked about Paul. And we talked about how he had this growth mindset, how uh, he had a change in perspective that created a change in his purpose. He changed how he saw himself and the people around him, and it created a change in how he saw his purpose and mission to the world. Last week, we talked about Peter, who stopped, looked, and listened. We talked about how it's the power of Jesus that changes and heals people's lives, but it's the hands of you and me that Jesus uses to lift people up. Jesus is saying, can, I, can you lend me a hand? And our response to him last week was, yes, Lord, we'll do whatever we can do. Well, this week we're going to look at a story about Jesus himself. So if you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 9, we're going to turn there today. I mean, know that Jesus wasn't a spectator. There's nothing about Jesus that spectates. We see Jesus, he wasn't sidelined and watching as life and humanity passed by. We saw that he was the most active of all participants or participators in the story of humanity. Philippians 2, 7 says this. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Participant participator, whatever you want to call him, Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come and to secure salvation and eternity and more importantly, relationship between God and humanity for you and for me. Jesus wants to be active in your life. You know, sometimes growing up, not to throw my kids under the bus, they would rarely do this, but sometimes they do, right? And you kind of get these statements, well, you never... Let me. You never do it for me. You always say no. How many know as parents that are, you know, having been a kid yourself, right? Sometimes we get into the mindset of what have you done for me lately, right? Sometimes we approach God that way. God, what have you done for me lately? But we see here that God has been actively participating in your life and in my life. And so he, he's this place, it's not about what he's done for me today. I like the old saying that even if Jesus never did another thing for me, he's already done more than I deserve. He's already done more than enough. Amen? Amen. Amen. Matthew 9, 35 to 38 says this. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area. He was teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. 
So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. See, Jesus wasn't separated. He wasn't distanced from the story, but he was engaged on all levels. He was engaged emotionally, mentally, and here we find him engaged physically. He was actively involved, announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. We see prior to his death and resurrection, he was announcing the nearness of the kingdom, the repent for the kingdom of God is near. And he was talking about this, and so he's actively involved. But it says here that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now this word compassion... When you go to the Greek, the splanknizomai, splanknizomai, that's the word, I love that, splanknizomai. It's to have pity or compassion, it's to be deeply moved. And when you look in the Greek text, it has this connotation of being moved to the bowels. Wow. <laughs> being moved to the bowels. Now, what we know from ancient thought is that the bowels, we talk about I love you with all of my heart, but we know from ancient uh, that they thought that the bowels were the center uh, of love. And, uh, and so, you know, I love you with all of my bowels, as kind of what they would do. Imagine that Valentine card, right? Maybe your anniversary's coming up, and you can whisper sweet nothings to your wife, right? I love you. I moved to my bowels, but my bowels is a seat of love. It's kind of this gut-wrenching feeling that I have. Compassion is being moved to the very core of who I am. When he saw, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. See, compassion is more than sympathy or empathy. When you talk to uh, psychologists, they actually talk about the difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy is acknowledging that someone is hurting. Sympathy says, I care about you. I care about you, I acknowledge that you're hurting but there's a part of me that's grateful that it's not me. I'm glad it's not you and not me. I am acknowledging that you're hurting. I have sympathy for you. By now we're familiar with empathy is sort of a new experience, emotion uh, in, in more recent days. We talk about the dirging sympathy and emotion. Uh, empathy is not just acknowledging that someone is hurting, but understanding what they're going through. Instead of just see, saying, I see your pain, empathy says, I feel your pain with you. Let me come and sit with you. Let me come in and sit alongside of you. I'm hurting with you. So we have sympathy, empathy, but compassion is different than both of these because rather than just acknowledging or just coming alongside and feeling, compassion has with it this denotation that it's not just feeling or acknowledging, but it's being moved to action. Compassion is being moved to the bowels. I'm being moved to action. Not just I see you, I care about you, I'm hurting with you, but what can I do to alleviate your pain? That's what compassion is really about. And so what moved Jesus to compassion as he looked at the crowds surrounding him, his perception of them was that they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is a theme that we see reoccurring throughout the Old Testament that God would provide a shepherd for his people. In Numbers 27, 17, Moses is praying to God about his successor. And he's saying, God, would you provide a successor to lead your people so that they don't wander like sheep without a shepherd? 
In Ezekiel 34, God uses the prophet Ezekiel to rebuke the shepherds of Israel. We see the shepherds being the prophets, the priests, and the king who were supposed to lead the people of Israel to oversee them both physically and spiritually. They were tasked with safeguarding them, defending the weak, and providing for the widows and orphans. But the prophet Ezekiel is, is challenging them that in your self-absorption and selfish ambition, you're looking after yourself and ignoring those under your care. It's the crowds that Jesus was looking at, that they were looking to the religious leaders for guidance and care. The religious system and structure of that time was set up in a way that pointed people towards earning good standing and favor with God through obedience of all the religious laws and rituals. And so they were looking to their leaders to guide them, and yet they found it to be a, a, a almost um, a unobtainable Task to live up to what they were expected to do. They were looking to their political leaders for security and for care. They're trying to earn for themselves a living, trying to make a living, but under Roman occupation, they just found that it was adding to their burden and to their stress. I don't know if they called them social influencers in the day, but they were looking for inspiration and care from their social influences. And we know from Roman custom and tradition that, that the idea of the day was to pursue entertainment and pursue luxury as a means of finding fulfillment and purpose in life. And yet Jesus looks at these people who are looking to their religious leaders and their political leaders and their social leaders, and he says they were like sheep without a shepherd wandering. The question they were asking, like many people ask today, is what is the purpose of all of this? There's got to be more to life than this. And it's to these people, Scripture states, that Jesus was moved with sympathy. Yeah? He was moved to empathy. Yeah? But more than that, it says he was moved to compassion. What can I do? So he wasn't merely content to be a spectator, but he wanted to participate in sharing the good news, the gospel of God's kingdom. Ever had someone tell you, I've got good news and I've got bad news, right? Have you ever had that? If someone said that to you, I've got good news and bad news, and they usually say, which do you want first, right? Where's all the people you want the bad news first, get it out of the way, you know, and then you can, you know, follow up good news. Where's all the good news people first? You're like, give me the good news, you know, and then that will help me, yeah. Well, with Jesus, it wasn't good news and bad news. It was all good news. It's all good news. How many of there are some people that you don't want good news, bad news from, right? Like you don't want your doctor telling you I got good news and bad news, right? You don't want your like mechanic telling you I got good news and bad news. It's always bad, you know? You don't want your bank calling you and saying we have good news and bad news, right? You don't want to hear it from them. But Jesus is announcing the gospel, the good news about God's kingdom. The word gospel in the Greek is evangelion, which simply means the good news. That's all it means, the good news. And so rather than announcing, I've got good news and bad news, Jesus went around announcing the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. You, what, what do you want? I got good news and I got good news. That's the kind of God that we serve. To these tired, weary, and hurting people, Jesus proclaims hope. There's hope for your life. The good news is that God loves you. The good news is that God desires for you to know him. The good news is that apart from any religious rituals and rule keeping, God has made a way for you. 
I love in 1 Peter 3, it explains the gospel or the good news in this way. It says that Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. Now Christ has gone to heaven, and he's seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. In John 14, it talks about the good news this way. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come again so that you will always be with me where I am. With Jesus is good news and good news. It's good news and good news. Jesus, we said, he was moved beyond sympathy, moved beyond empathy. He was moved to compassion. Compassion, we said, is sympathy and empathy combined with this deep-seated feeling of wanting to participate and put it into action. Compassion leads to action. For those that were in the Life Shared uh, groups this week, and we talked about this last week as well, one of our guiding statements for our community engagement team, and, and uh, they talked about it in the video, is this idea of uh, how can I love here? How can I serve here? How can I help here? And, and so this is what compassion looks like in the life of a Christian. How can I serve here? How can I love here? How can I help here? How can I be the hand that lifts people up as Jesus is healing them and transforming their life? See, Jesus was personally invested. He's all in. But now he turns to his followers, his disciples, and he tells them what the situation needs. He explains to them, hey guys, let me talk to you about my observation and then this is how I want you to be a part of the solution. He says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus compares the potential of the situation to that of a harvest. Now I know some of you worked your gardens all summer and you got some pretty amazing, you know, I saw, I saw like a, a cucumber, I think it was like about this big. This week, yeah, it, was, it was amazing. Someone pulled this out of their garden. A zucchini, actually. That's what it was. And, uh, and so, uh, I know, but, but, but better than your harvest. Jesus said, like, picture the fields white for harvest. I don't know if you ever lived near wheat fields, but this vast field is white for harvest. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. The potential is like that of a harvest. Now, harvest is the most important time of the agricultural year. How many know that the farmer has his eye on the harvest? Everything is done with the eye towards the harvest, right? When you start, when you plant, when you plow, when you water, when you eat, all that stuff is all done with an eye towards the harvest. The harvest is crucial to the life and success of the farm, right? The harvest is what brings the income to keep the farm going. And not only that, the harvest is what produces the seed that gets planted for next year's crop. The harvest is critical for a farm. It can only go on so long as there is a harvest unless it's a hobby farm. Unless it's a hobby farm. See, a hobby farm 
doesn't see the harvest as a goal. Right? For the hobby farm, it's something to do for fun. Something to do to stay busy. It's something to do to amuse yourself because you always wanted goats and cows or something. I don't know what it is. But for uh, the hobby farm, the goal isn't the harvest. The hobby farm is often a side project to your other goals and life pursuits. Something you do on the side. Christianity, if we're careful, can stop being countercultural and can just become a subculture of our world. Christianity if you allow it to, can just become a subculture. We have our own movies, we have our own music, we have our own concerts. Anyone go to Kelowna this weekend to see Jeremy Camp? We have our own fictional reading, we have our own funny t-shirts, we have this whole subculture of Christianity. But Christianity, without an eye towards the harvest, can become something that we do for fun, something that we do to stay busy, something that we do for entertainment feels good to be with the people who live and think the same as us. It feels good to come and sing the songs that we love. But Christianity without an eye towards the harvest can become a side project to our other life's goals and pursuits. Now even church work can keep us busy and distracted from God's kingdom work. As a pastor who works full-time at the church, let me tell you, even church work can keep us distracted from having an eye on the harvest. If we become all about doing our own subculture and what's fun, it can become a hobby farm if we don't have an eye on the harvest. But Jesus is moved by compassion because he sees the pain of the people and he sees the potential of the harvest and he turns his protégés And he says, we need to pray and ask God to send more workers into his fields. Now, in all your praying this week, how many times did that theme come up in your prayers? Maybe you're here and you're like, oh, Pastor Jerry, I'm trying to grow in prayer. I'm trying to spend more time in prayer. Here's an idea. Why don't you add this to your prayer life? Pray that God would spend more workers for his harvest. I was really moved by this. Because we need more pastors and missionaries and evangelists and leaders. I experienced how, as you know, we did a pastoral transition with our children's pastor. And we're so glad that Pastor Nadine has uh, come on board. She's going to be with us full time and, uh, and permanently. So we're really excited about her working with our children and family. And so that's a really great that we're looking for. But here's what I want you to know. When I found out there was a transition, I started calling some friends. And I sort of said... Do you know anyone? Do you know any kids' pastors? Do you have anyone in the wings? And you know what I kept hearing? Nope, don't know anyone. We're looking for one ourselves. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're hard to come by. There's not really any in the district. We had one person that went to the Bible college this year and went in the pastoral ministry track for children's ministry, and uh, then they just got a job at the Bible college. So they're not even going into church work, right? And so I was convicted, man, we really need leaders and pastors for our churches. How many know our pastors are aging like every other industry, right? We need people to step up and fill these churches. But even more importantly, we need spirit-filled believers who permeate everyday life in all the everyday spaces of our community. We need spirit-filled teachers and accountants and bank managers. We need spirit-filled mechanics and and commercial truck drivers. We need spirit-filled people in every sphere of our community. 
And so I was convicted about this. I was inspired, you know, many of you, uh, Pastor Ken Russell is our district pastor and he was here a few months ago and, uh, and he was inspiring me because he took, the, took this verse to heart and he set an alarm on his watch every day at 9.38 that reminds him to pray that God would send workers into the field. 9.38, this is uh, Matthew 9, verse 38, that's what we're reading. At 9.38, he prays every day that God would send more workers to the field. Jesus told his followers to pray and ask God to send more workers. If you remember back to our series of prayer a few months ago, we talked about this idea that prayer is more than an appeal. Prayer is about aligning our lives to God. When we get into prayer, it's not just about asking God to do something. We're actually aligning ourselves to God. Prayer isn't about turning God to us, but about us turning to God. C.S. Lewis, he wrote, wrote, said, I don't pray to change God's mind. He said, prayer changes me. And so Jesus, moved by compassion, turns to his disciples and he says, we gotta pray that the Lord, who's in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers into his fields. And I think Jesus was playing a trick on them. Because he said, yeah, there's a need, we need to pray about it. But the more we pray about it, the deeper that gets into our heart and our soul, the more we become convicted about the cause that we're praying about. Have you ever met someone uh, who is passionate about a cause? I had a friend and he was passionate about selling me knives, right? He really wanted to set up an appointment to tell me how great his knives were. These are the best knives that will never go dull, never grow sharp. Some of you have like essential oils people and they're just passionate about essential oils. They wanna meet with you and tell you about the cause of essential oils or whatever it is. People that have a cause are excited about it, they're passionate about it, they believe in it. Well, I don't know how many weeks or months took place between Matthew 9 and Matthew 28, but Jesus has his disciples praying that God would send more workers to the field, that there would be more people spreading the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to these lost and hurting people. And then we come to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 16. This is following the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says, Jesus, having shown himself to his disciples in his resurrected form, gathers them all together. Meet me outside the city, he says to them. And in verse 16, it says, the 11 disciples left for Galilee and they're going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. Now verse 18 says, now Jesus came and told his disciples I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I love Jesus says, hey guys, you should start praying about this need. Start praying that God would send more workers to the harvest. He gets them praying about it, and then here we are a couple of chapters later, he goes, oh, and by the way, you guys are gonna be the answer to your prayers. Have you ever notice how God does that sometimes? Right? Hey, you should pray about this. Okay, I will, you know? Let me get this burden. Let me get this cause so deep in my heart that I feel compassion, and then God, Jesus goes, okay, now it's your chance to be the answer to your own prayer. And so here, what we commonly call the Great Commission, Jesus sets out the number one priority and mission of the church. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. A church without an eye on the harvest is just a hobby farm, right? It's just a side project to what God is really wanting to do. But he says, disciples who make disciples 
who make disciples. I love how Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. He says, you've heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. He says, now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. He's thinking four deep. He's not just thinking, who am I gonna talk to? But he's thinking four generations deep. How will this message get from me to others, to others, to others? This is how the church of Jesus Christ works. The goal is always exponential multiplication. I heard someone recently say this. They said, if we had eight billion people in the world and we each talked to someone about Jesus, who talked to someone about Jesus, who talked to someone about Jesus, if we all did this, Every one of us, it would only take 35 years for everyone in the whole world, 8 billion people, to hear about Jesus. 35 years. And I know that it seems like mind-boggling. There's a whole bunch of other math to go with that, which, as you know, I'm not good at math. But this is what I do know. Statistics. Lifeway Research did a survey recently, and they, they surveyed people who went to church at least once a month. And they said, of all those people, how many of those people believe that it's their role to tell other people about Jesus? And 80% said, we believe it's our responsibility. However, 78% of them said, we haven't talked to anyone about Jesus in the last six months. So 80% said, yeah, we believe it's our responsibility. And 78% said, but we haven't done anything about it. Right? That's either ouch or amen. I'm not sure which one. But here's the thing. So then they ask them, well, not even just talking to people about Jesus, but how about inviting people to church? In the last six months, 59% said they had not invited anyone to church in six months. Only 30% said, well, I've invited someone once or twice in the last six months. And only 10% said that I've invited people more than two times. So we know we have this great number of people go, yeah, we know it's our responsibility. Yeah, we know we should be about it. But we don't. And I get it. I know it can be fear. Sometimes a fear of how people receive you. Sometimes a fear like I'm not going to know what to say in the moment. Uh, it can be fear that like my life, like I, maybe a future version of me when I get my stuff together, then I can invite somebody to Jesus or at least invite them to church. You know, but I think that the thing about Jesus Christ Disciples making disciples about making disciples. We make it a lot harder than it needs to be. It's about simply sharing our story. If you had baptism a few times this year, I love all the times you have baptism. As I got looking and talking to people who were getting baptized, and I asked them, how did you come to faith in Christ? How did you start attending our church? This is what I heard from people in our church. It was my friend from school who invited me. It was someone... I was working with, doing community service with, they invited me. I was at a food truck, and the guy that owns a food truck invited me. I was at a CPR course, and the guy running the CPR course invited me. I have a family member who's been inviting me for years, and I finally said, yes. We ran an alpha course in the spring, and someone invited me. And then there's a rare person that says, the Holy Spirit drew me to watch online, and I got connected that way. How many of you know that even when we're doing our best efforts, the Holy Spirit's already at work, working in other people's lives, even when we don't know it? And so my challenge, I'm so challenged by this. And this is what I'm challenged by. Jesus saw the people, and this is what he said, there's more ready to be brought in than there are to help bring them in. That's what he's saying. 
There's more ready to be brought in than there are ready to bring them in. I know we look at our world, I look at my world, I look at our city, and I go, Jesus, I think you might be mistaken. It doesn't seem like there's that many who are interested in coming to know you, but how many know that Jesus is always right? Jesus sees the hearts of people. Jesus knows what the Holy Spirit is stirring in other people's lives. Jesus says there's more ready to be brought in than there are ready to bring them in. And so he says, I want you to pray. And I want you to be a part. Don't be a spectator to the harvest, but be a participant. What if this moment right now as a church is a moment in a season where God says, I am ready to do something great in your city. I'm ready to do something great in your region. There's more people ready to be brought in in the Okanagan Valley than there are people to bring them in. Can you imagine? That's what Jesus is saying here. If we really believe him and take him at his word. You know, as a church, we've been blessed. We've been thinking, wow, God, this is so great that you're bringing all these new people to our church. We're, we're starting two services because we want to make room for those that are here already, but also for those who are not yet in the room. How many know when two services, we'll have double the amount of time and space and place for people to come. And so we are creating space for you to invite your friends and neighbors to church. So here's what I want us to do. Three things this week. The first one is this. To start praying that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers to bring them in. Matthew 9, 38. Would you join me for the next seven days to pray at 9.38 in the morning or the night, whichever one you want to do, but I'm a morning, I'll do morning, 9.38. Would you set your alarm? You can do it right now. Put an alarm on your phone, 9.38. Set it on your phone, put it in your calendar, make it pop up, whatever you need to do, 9.38. Say, God, I just want to pray right now that you're going to send more workers. You're going to send pastors, evangelists, missionaries, leaders, sending kids to Bible college sending second career people to Bible college, sending people in our own community, doctors, nurses, lawyers, mechanics, would you send more people, give us boldness and courage for the hearts. That's step number one. Would we pray Matthew 9, 38. Number two is this. We've been building towards something in these last three weeks. And so we've been doing life shared in our life groups, in our, in our, in our big group life group. Next week, not this week, but next week, we're gonna do full send week. Full Send Week is when we're all going to go and find someone to share our story with about how Jesus has changed and transformed our life. So to get you an advance notice, you gotta book something now for next week, because I know how people are, right? So plan a coffee, invite someone over for dinner next, you know, two Friday nights from now or whatever it is. Plan now, how am I going to have a lunch or a coffee what can I do to create an opportunity where I might be able to share God with someone in my life? The third one is this, is prepare. Prepare in advance. What am I going to say to them when that opportunity comes? How am I going to share what God's done in my life? We should all simply be prepared. Here's a simple format for you. What was my life like before I met Christ? Who was I? What did I do? Where was I at? How did I feel? How did I meet Christ? Give me some details. How was I invited? What was that experience like? And then, how has my life been different after I met Christ? What's been happening? How have I been changed? How's God been working in me? It's as simple as that. Who 
was I? How did I meet God? What difference has that made in my life? How do you know that all we can do is we can only prepare? We can't make the Holy Spirit move. We can't make the opportunities come. But when we prepare, I think God always comes and He honors our preparation. So we're going to pray into it. We're going to create an opportunity. Perhaps it'll be the opportunity. Then we're going to prepare. What, would, what might I say when the opportunity arrives? Because here's what I know. We need to be a pray that we would be more than spectators in the kingdom of God. We want to be participants or participators, however you want to say it. That the hobby of Christianity wouldn't keep us busy and entertained, but that we would have our eye on the harvest of what God wants to do. There's more ready to be brought in than there are to help bring them in. That's what Jesus said. So if he said it then, I still think it's true today. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do we gotta get that compassion down in our gut feelings and I really, truly believe that? I'm gonna invite you to stand this morning. And so Jesus, we know today that you reign over every fear, or that you reign over every doubt, that you reign over every persecution, that you reign over the darkness, Lord, that tries to deceive people, keep them blinded from you. We pray, Lord, that there would be a great awakening in our region, Lord Jesus, that people whose eyes are open to see you uh, work around them. God, that you would use us to come alongside them, to guide them, and to shepherd them towards you. Lord, that in our lives they would see something winsome, that in our message they would see something convicting, that your Holy Spirit would do what we can't do. Lord, you're the one who's in charge of the harvest, but you said, would you just bring laborers to help bring it in? Lord, we choose to believe that the words of Jesus are true, that there are more ready to come than there are workers to go and help bring them in. So we pray, God, that you would help us overcome apathy, that you would help us overcome fear, that you would help us overcome doubt, that you help us overcome whatever it is that holds us back. Lord Jesus, from inviting people to you, to sharing our story, how you've transformed us, and inviting them to come to you. I know that we can invite them to church. That's, that's half the process, but really the whole process is disciples who make disciples, who make disciples. Lord, that's something that we can all do. Pray you give us courage. So as we pray this week into it, Lord, would you give us greater perspective about it? Lord, as we make a plan to connect with one of our friends or family or coworkers in the next week and a half, Lord, would, would you give us that opportunity? And as we prepare our hearts, what would we say to someone if we had the opportunity to share how you transformed our lives? Would we do all that, Lord? We pray that you would bless it. Lord Jesus, that you would be already surprising us, Lord, with how you've already gone before us to prepare the way. Lord, if there's someone here this morning Maybe this message is a little bit new to them, but they're hearing about this Jesus Christ who loves, who transforms, who heals, who saves, who's an active participant in the life of humanity, who wants to be an active participant in their life today. I pray you would give them the courage to turn their eyes to you, to give their life to you, to start this journey with you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name.